you think about sales operations, you hear a lot of different people talk about it and they mention it as sales operations being the glue into a lot of different other departments, whether it's finance, marketing, HR, obviously sales and manager success and customer success. But what is the shape of glue? You know, it's amorphous. And because of that, you have to adapt and dynamize, but you can't have a particular function. You can't have a particular department be amorphous and undefined and just purely structured as reactive. Given that the, the few structures you do have in place have to be pillars, one where they're stable and the core concept, I, identifying things, and I'm just going to spit here, like identifying your core KPIs, your sales activity, your pipelining. Those are some things that are just key fundamentals within the status of what <laughs> makes sales operations both nimble and amorphous, but the glue that holds things together. This is Rev Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in revenue operations. We invite the brightest minds in RevOps onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement. Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Brian Chin, who is the Director of Sales Operations at Spring Health. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Brian, I'm sensing like 11 to 13 years experience in the sales ops world. Is that accurate? That is correct. It's not a career trajectory that I would have expected, but it's one that I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made the decision to jump into. Yeah, let's dig into that. So what, like this decision that you made to, to jump in, um, where did that come from? And actually, maybe before that, wh- what did you expect you would be doing before you did jump in? Well, a graduate of NYU, I focus a lot on com- computer information systems. And I always imagine myself to be a back-end programmer. You know, it's one who had a key role in architectural designs and building up the infrastructure of the organization. And as I started diving into that, I realized that uh, it didn't allow me to create the balances that I normally wanted. And going into sales operations, one of my first roles into sales operations was working for Yahoo where I helped with a now defunct team called Hot Jobs to scale and identify business intelligence. And to me, there was just so much more about sales operations versus data engineering and building it up. Whereas on one end with data engineering, you focus on the receivables of what your constituents wanted and then build that up. With sales operations, you analyze and thought more about what are the key drivers and movers, you know? And to me, that was just a more cerebral environment that just gravitated me more toward that field. Makes total sense. And this is a really hard question. But what is the number one most important thing you've learned about sales ops over the past decade? Uh, to be nimble and fluid and that your job, your industry will change within a year or two, and you have to adapt to that. 
when we look at uh, uh, Tom, the chronology of sales operations, especially in the New York metro area, it's as you mentioned in the last 10, 12, uh, 13 years, it's evolved drastically. In the beginning, sales operations mostly consisted of looking at reports, maintaining those reports, sending those reports out, and you just focus entirely within the sales velocity funnel. But as the chronology has evolved and morphed, now you start looking at the tofu, the top of the funnel metrics. You start looking at the post-sale cycles. You start looking at your involvement with rep operations. So to me, sales operations really indicates the ability and the goal of trying to provide answers to questions that have yet been asked. And in doing so, you have to adapt. You have to be nimble and focus on looking at demystifying using your keywords here, uh, identifying like, the different uh, areas where you need to understand better, uh, adjust your t- sales stack, and m- most importantly, uh, to adjust the way you have sales enablement processes for your team to evolve. And I was expecting you to to stumble or hesitate when answering that question, but that came straight off the tongue. So it must be a, a, a big theme for the last decade of your work. Can we now zoom into Spring Health and just quickly break down for the audience roughly the amount of reps you're supporting and then also the size of the uh, sales ops team? Yeah, we are actually supporting 25 and uh, fingers crossed, it will be within the end of the, end of the week, uh, 32 reps. And we're just growing at an exponential pace. But in addition to the reps, we also service a lot of people with finance and HR and marketing, which we won't necessarily get into here at this point. But our sales ops team, when I first joined Spring Health, it was a team of one, myself. And this year, we've grown to three. And most recently, we've acquired a fourth one. So we have four now, and I expect the team to grow significantly lockstep with Spring Health's trajectory also. The, so can you break down the roles of the four resources in sales ops? Like what, how have you split the work between the four? Uh, I'm very glad you asked that question because the current uh, situation of sales ops we have now is completely different than a lot of different organizations. In most organizations, you have the hierarchy and breakdown of sales ops individuals focusing on being function managers and function leaders where one person will potentially handle sales velocity questions, another person will handle uh, the pipeline attrition and so forth. Here at the Spring Health, we have a very flat, what I call uh, a sales operations lake to mirror the way that sales operations has been looking at data in which sales operation data now is more of a data lake as opposed to a, a data warehouse. And in that regards, we have one person who focuses a lot on the back end, the architecture, working with the peer sales operation and enablement of Salesforce. Uh, myself and another individual, we're the generalist, so to speak, and we manage high-level strategy to identify sales capacity and a lot of levers. And our newest hire will focus on more involvement with our revenue operations and financial analysis of that. And what's great about this is we built a redundancy program where we make sure that not only are we masters of one area, but we try to learn from each other and we try to rotate these roles on a quarterly basis and cadence. Incredible. I'm always interested in like new ways of working. For some reason, I just find that absolutely um, like super interesting. And hopefully Alex is going to dig more into uh, that, those details as we move forward in the interview. Um, what would you say right now as Spring Health is your biggest sales ops challenge? Right now, we are focusing on identifying sales capacity because Spring Health has recently uh, secured a Series C of funding of 190 million. We're growing tremendously and going exponentially high. Uh, we were re- recently valued at a $2 billion valuation. 
And given that we have high lofty goals, and given that this is the first time which we've had a true capture as to how to grow, not only call it exponentially, but now merely move to the next cadence of a high growth organization from a startup. So given that sales capacity is one where sales operations is going to be the key focus of helping the organization scale appropriately. From sales operations, we understand what is the sales team, what is the number of sales team and reps that we need to hire. From then, from there, that's going to trickle down to understanding how many BDRs we need, how many customer success managers do we need, how many client service ops we need to service those. And top of the funnel, how many marketing individuals we need to like help with that bow tie. So, given that, it's all centered into a linchpin of sales operations and identifying sales velocity. Oh, what an answer! Then, uh, like once we've overcome this challenge right like on the horizon of your pipeline what do, would you say is like the one project or initiative that's like super strategic that you would be tackling let's say in the next six to 18 months well there are a couple of things and uh, uh i would say the key thing is making sure that one we scale appropriately and making sure that everyone has a great pathway to growth and scalability uh to making sure that we are constantly fresh and, uh, and we dynamize our uh, product offerings and make sure that we always are reinventing the wheel and making sure that it's fresh. And more importantly, I like to bucket it instead of, instead of a specific project. I like to look at it as pillars of areas where we tackle or retackle. We have, uh, uh, Tom, we have the descriptive analytics that sales operations focus on. We have the prescriptive analytics and we have the predictive analytics. 80% of most organizations focus only on the descriptive and the prescriptive. What are the problems now and how do we fix them? But instead, we're trying to move past that and I'm trying to look at what are our current problems? How do we solve the scale? But more importantly, what are the predictive analytics? How do we solve the problems that we have that have yet been asked? So that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, being a new organization where we're growing, we've only been around for like five years and we're trying to scale to become not only a two billion valuation organization, but a 10 billion and a 50 billion. We just don't know what problems may arise. So we're throwing all these different scenarios and building out an excessive amount of case studies and, uh, and diagrams, well, as it takes to try to understand what could potentially be our pitfalls. It sounds like the holy grail of sales ops being able to predict and maybe even solve the problems that haven't occurred yet. On that note, Brian, we're going to bring in Alex to go into a little bit more detail. Thanks, Tom. And thanks, Brian. That was a really fascinating discussion. It's always good when I'm, I come in thinking, oh, I wish Tom asked more, more questions. There's so, <laughs> so much stuff here. So so that was great. Um, I, I think I just wanted to pick up on, to start with some of the things you just said. So um, you said you try and look at things as pillars rather than sort of areas and projects. Is that is that if I paraphrase that correctly? That is absolutely correct. Yes. Cool. And and why why is that? How do you see that as different? Looking at them as pillars. Well, when we look at different functions, different problems, different areas, you know, the common like misconception, even to someone who's not familiarized with sales operations, you see a problem, you address it, you solve it, you move on. That's not the case with sales operations. Instead, you need to build upon that and layer it like an absolute pillar. When we look at, at solving the problems of descriptive, predictive, you know, and prescriptive analytics, uh, what do we solve for an organization that has 100 individuals and employees versus 500? Those are two separate cadences and two completely separate types of problems. And then W so we're more for 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 employees. So given that, what we do is we build upon that and layer it up from the foundation level. So that's why I see it as pillars. Amazing. Thanks. That's, that's what I thought. So yeah, it's 
we don't do something and we finish it. Um, yeah, it's, it's an, it's an ever-evolving build and you're sort of getting to new layers of, you know, complexity or, or value um, that, that you deliver in those areas. Um, and I guess it reminds me, on the start, as you said, you know, that the field is ever so ever-changing. So even if, even if the company is in the same sort of size bucket as it was before, what was right for a year ago may not be right anymore. Absolutely, Alex. You know, and when you think about sales operations, you hear a lot of different people talk about it and, and they mention it as sales operations being the glue to a lot of different other departments, whether it's finance, marketing, HR, obviously sales and manager success and customer success. But what is the shape of glue? You know, it's amorphous. And because of that, you have to adapt and dynamize, but you can't have a particular function. You can't have a particular department be amorphous and undefined and just purely structured as reactive, you know? Given that the, the few structures you do have in place have to be pillars, one where they're stable and the core concept, I, identifying things, and I'm just going to spit more here, like identifying your core KPIs, your sales activity, your pipelining. Those are some things that are just key fundamentals in the status of what <laughs> makes sales operations uh, both uh, nimble and, and amorphous, but the glue that holds things together. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, really helpful. I love the idea of, of the glue, as you said, that's really flexible, but also the pillars that are sort of rigid and, and being set. And there's the idea, yeah, that you don't want to be completely reactive because anytime you're reactive, that's, you know, you're not, you're not adding the value, the most value you can be. So being able to be um, proactive as well, which also, I guess, ties into what you're talking about with, with your sort of predictive analytics. And would you be able to share a bit more about, about the sort of areas that you've been trying to work on with predictive analytics? Yeah, so... When we talk about, let's, let's backtrack a little bit, you know, let's talk about descriptive and prescriptive, you know, uh, and this may not apply to everything, but I would say that it applies about 80% of what I've personally experienced in my career. When we look at like descriptive analytics, the key things that we can bucket into are the rules of fives and threes, you know, the five key descriptive analytics are like your sales velocity KPIs, your sales activity overall, like how many calls it make and so forth, your pipelining, uh, your segment and vertical like analyses as you break things down, and then your revenue analyses. All of those are descriptive analytics that you know are you dressed as what is the landscape, what is the problem, you know, what is the situation. And then to solve those, you have the predictive, you know, that, that match them, you know, the trend analysis for the KPIs, the sales effectiveness and efficacy, you know, of sales activity, uh, your gap analysis and your forecasting, you know, for your pipelining situation. Uh, how do you look at behavioral targeting and insights for your segment analysis and your go-to-market analysis for your revenue? Those are the areas that a lot of companies look at as descriptive. And these are the ones where they're prescriptive, which you provide reports, KBRs, you know, and cadences. But that only hand, that's, uh, that handles your problem now and in your future. For predictive, you know, you want to dive forward into from your sales velocity, KPIs, knowing a trend analysis, how does that handle automation and, and dashboarding, you know, in which you have all the answers at your hand from your sales activity you, and, and such, you understand how does it dive into the DNA insights of what is a prototypical uh, superstar hire employee versus that of your average, you know, what are the key things and differentials that sets out that? From your pipeline, you look at what is the average account lifecycle, product analysis, and what are the ways that you massage the account to grow into that superstar whale. And you know, like for your behavioral targeting analysis, uh, what do you look at for marketing intelligence? How do we feed like the tofu top of funnel uh, uh, like uh, index? And then, lastly, the most important of all, you know, from your revenue analysis to your go-to-market analysis is your strategic innovation, which means you just repeat the process over again on a different scale. 
So when we look at predictive analytics, it's really based upon things like what is the automation that we have at hand? What is the DNA of the great employee or the sales rep? Uh, what is the average account lifecycle? You know, and how do we make sure that those two are married together? You know, and then with marketing intelligence and strategic, and strategic innovation, then we identify the holistic health of what is a potential future of our scalability. And then we repeat that process and exciting adventure all over again, again, again. Amazing. Thank you. That, that was very comprehensive. And um, I just wanted to pull in one more thing from it because you said, you know, fi- analyze what, what makes a, you know, that, that fantastic, that great employee. Can you just explain again what you, what you do with that? Is that so you can try and help replicate and, and, and skill others up? Or is that, what, what is the goal of, of understanding that, you know, the ideal employee? Well, it begins with making the best fit and the best hire. And I'm not saying that certain uh, potential applicants uh, aren't good or bad, but it's just a matter of right fit, uh, Alex. You know, what are the different areas and uh, of the organization that can to provide for an employee? And what are the, the different strengths that we can use to leverage? We try to identify what are people's best working habits, you know, how they work with their sales like efficacy, how do they work with, with, with their sales stack, and to make sure that they have the best onboarding experience. To me, part of, a, of sales training is just the onboarding experience. There's nothing more uh, replicable than that. And having that great onboarding experience really helps and rep understand the business model as well as, well as uh, the product itself. So that way they know it at the back of their hand. And then from there to understand what can we do to leverage the success. A lot of sales organizations will, will put people to high quotas, throw them into the fire, and they don't produce, then they can't. You know That to me is inexcusable. Like everyone who's hired has a great core innate talent. And uh, if they're not a right fit, then we have a discussion about what we can do to massage those areas and improve that. Uh, for those superstar levers who practically go out, and they do X, Y, and Z that's above and beyond the call of duty that's not identified within the sales role. Those are the ones we want to identify. What are key habits? How much time they're spending you know, on their bookmarking? How much time are they spending on their prospecting? What are the different leadership traits that everyone from the top down can have? So that way we have this collaborative pool of leadership uh, traits, leadership skills, and leadership expertise that we can spread around and, and make sure that everyone is elevated. Because within a sales role, it's not just having these is uh, reps try to hit the quotas and markers and so forth. It's looking at how do we make them grow to make sure that they're leveraged the best, love what they do, and to make sure that they're looking at this as a pathway and elevation to the next roles as well. Great. Thank you. Yeah, really, really comprehensive. And I, I really like that idea of yeah, looking, looking to get the most out of your people, so to build out, train them up. And, and yeah, as you said, taking charge of all those enablement pieces to really not just... Um, have these great processes and provide all the analytics, but to make sure that the actual machine is is turning and working as designed. Um, and that that really brings me on to what you were talking about your own team earlier, and and just when you mentioned about rotating roles on a quarterly basis, and Tom flagged it to me, but I it had already made my ears um, perk up. Um, I'm really interested for you just to explain a little bit how how you try and balance that being both specialists but also generalists and having that redundancy among the team. Yeah, let me. So if we were to take a step back. Anyone who jumps into a sales operation role, you know, like they come into it because they love data. That's you know, they love data. They're data geeks. They're data nerds. They love insights. They love having that input, you know, of how do we grow an organization. But given that, you don't want to be siloed. And because, as I mentioned, that sales operation requires someone to be very nimble, uh, it's it's a tough task to ask someone to be in a sales ops role, managing X, Y, and Z 
but on the flip side, being able to uh, teach themselves A, B, and C. It's no secret that uh, 10, 15 years ago, uh, Salesforce wasn't as prevalent then as it was now. Back in the past, you had even the sales stack, Excel access. Those were the, uh, the, o- the OGs you know, of, of sales operations. Now we have so many things, Tableau, Salesforce, and also even the tech and alone, you need a lot of uh, teaching and education. And you could take doing courses, you know, and I'm not knocking those out. But to me, I've always found that the best experience is working hands-on with your colleagues to better understand what is the application of this sales tax for the strategic initiative, for the strategic project. So that way you could see the throughput and impact of how that rolls out, whether in some cases, whether it's, for example, sales capacity, whether it's revenue growth, whether it's redesigning territorial mapping, you know, and having that role, we try to appeal to each other's strengths where we settle in. And then we identify an area that makes us uncomfortable, an area that makes us comfortable. So that way we could focus on a secondary uh, uh, role of learning what makes us comfortable. In this case, uh, for me, it's working with strategy and then for and then uh, working with finance and financial revenue operation as my secondary interest, but one that, for, and I'm just throwing this out there, that I'm uncomfortable with working with building out like the process design of architecture of Salesforce and learning more of SQL and SQL and so forth. So that just helps us have a holistic blend of greater skill sets altogether. And we know that being in a real world uh, where we have been, especially nowadays, <laughs> where we need a lot of great mental health breaks, you know, and, and so that we don't burn out at both ends, we need to take a step back. And given that, you know, when there's a function expert and a function specialist missing, that can throw out the dynamic of the cog of the great machine and wheel. So being that we need someone who also wants to step in and understand our role. So we wanted a situation where our sales operations team is a clear sales operations lake in which anyone can step in, understand more, and overall do for the career as an additional function, just grow better as an individual and just learn more holistically. Amazing. Again, just a really human and a really attractive kind of working environment where, you know, your career development is obvious because actually you're doing, you're getting to do as many things as you want, you know, as often as you want. And actually there's plenty of challenge and change day to day. Because again, what does a data geek want? They want more problems to go and solve and doing the same thing again and again is going to get a bit, a bit, a bit of a drag. So actually having new and exciting things to keep doing is going to be a great place to, to develop. Absolutely. I, I actually have to give my team call like a stretch goal in which um, like maybe two quarters down, three quarters down, Think of a, your most bizarre, fantastical stretch goal that you have that's not necessarily related to sales operations. And let's think about that massage. And that gives people an opportunity to uh, explore different areas where they would normally have done in such a musical manner. Cool. And then last question from me. Um, again, you said just how, how quick changing the whole, whole sort of revenue sales operations environment is. Um, are there any kind of new changes that you've seen or, or changes you think are coming any sort of general insight that you want to share with us? Oh, that's a tough one. That's, the one, that's probably the first question that's made me like stop and pause for a second. Um, I think it's important, especially in the way sales operation is reactive to uh, their own internal stakeholders, which is sales, finance, marketing, and, and to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to be reactive on a secondary basis of how your other sales teams and reps are going to be reactive to the changing environment. We've seen how the global scape has changed significantly in the past two years. And given that, uh, there's a big 
uh, bifurcated discussion. Do you want to f focus on making sure we're going down this route, you know, of, of having some wild chaotic changes? Do we want to go down other route of of making an assumption that things will go back the way they are, you know, pre uh, pre COVID? So that's one of the ways where a lot of sales operations leaders are at the loggerheads. To me, I think it's best to embrace the two and prepare for both bifurcated views, uh, views and shifts. Amazing. Thanks very much, Brian. And um, Tom, do you want to come back and rejoin us? Relentless answers from Brian. No pauses at all. But now, <laughs> the most important question of the show, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Oh, God. Um... Can I give two answers? <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, we will permit that. Okay, there's two individuals that I've been a big fan of. Uh, never met them as well, but I've been keeping track of their trajectory. One is Brian Kelly uh, from Snowflake, and uh, he has just a tremendous like uh, trajectory of making sure that they're like dynamized uh, insights and making organizations just grow and scale rapidly. And then the other is a bit of a legend of Akira Mamizuka. He is the VP of Global Sales Ops in, at, at LinkedIn, exactly. And uh, at, he is someone who, when you look at the inception of LinkedIn, you know, and so where he is now, and, and you may not have joined it right at the beginning, but so all the different landscape changes and hurdles that he's had to encounter are just mind-blowing. So Yeah, yeah. We had Akira on a few episodes ago. Awesome interview. David Kelly of Snowflake, though, we haven't. So we may... I'll reach out, ask him to come on the show. And if he does come on, we'll also mention that you want to take him for lunch as well, <laughs> Brian. So, um, Brian, I, wanna, I can clearly tell that you are like super passionate about sales ops. Um, I think that really shines through in like the, the immediacy in which you can give these answers. We were only able to stump you or uh, force you to hesitate twice with those two wildcard questions at the end, Brian. But I want to thank you so much for coming on, being so honest, sharing everything you're working on, specifically the structure or the slightly different structure of the sales team or sales ops team format, which I think is going to be really interesting for the audience. But I think it was really valuable generally. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. I, pr I appreciate it. And thank you, Tom and Alex. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of RevOps Demystified. If you're listening on a podcast listening application, please follow, rate, and review the show. And if you have any questions about the show, you can recommend a guest or just want to learn more about RevOps or Ebster, hit us up at podcast at ebster.com.